tonight, we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossian Christians. And as you open up this letter tonight, it's right after the book of Philippians, right before the book of 1 Thessalonians, I want to mention this, and this has real application to the season that you and I are in tonight for this reason. The book of Colossians is one of Paul's prison epistles, obviously meaning that he wrote this while he was in prison. As you read this letter then, we will note that Paul wrote one of the greatest, most beautiful descriptions of Jesus Christ ever penned from a dark, damp, dirty prison cell. I say that because Paul was able able to produce something through the Holy Spirit of God, not in optimal circumstances. And yet it was beautiful and glorious, and it has impacted people's lives for centuries now, the book of Colossians. You and I are maybe not living in optimal circumstances right now. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can do something beautiful and glorious through His people because God never needs optimal circumstances to work. In fact, God has really never since the fall had optimal circumstances to work through us. I mean, even as Christians, we're imperfect. And the world in which we live is full of other sinners just like us. And then the world itself is under the curse still. So, We live in a very imperfect environment, and yet God can always do something beautiful and glorious if we simply make ourselves available to Him. Think of this. The book of Colossians is an illustration of Romans 8.28, that God can work all things together for good. It doesn't mean all things are good. Paul's imprisonment was not good, but God is so amazing that he can bring something beautiful and glorious out of something that's not good. I want us to be encouraged by that in this season that you and I are in. It may not be good in a lot of respects, but God is so wonderful. We've sang about his majesty tonight. He is so amazing that God can work out something good and bring something out of good out of something bad. Remember that tonight. God is not limited in how He works and in the work that He does by our circumstances. So as you read and as you study along with me for these next few weeks, the book of Colossians, always remember that these words were penned in a very dark, damp, and dirty prison cell that Paul was in, and yet God brought this beautiful, glorious book out of that circumstance. Tonight, because this is our first message, I sort of want to give us some context and and sort of an introduction to the book. And tonight we're going to start out by looking at the wonder of God, the workmanship of God, and then the work of God. And the reason I want to start with the wonder of God is that's really the central issue that Paul is talking about here in the letter to the Colossian Christians. You see, after this church was planted, there were false teachers and false influences that came into the church or that surrounded the church, 
and they were teaching that Jesus Christ was less than what he really was. And so one of the things that Paul wants to do in this letter is make sure that the Colossian Christians know exactly who Jesus is. And that in no way is Jesus Christ diminished in any way. And the reason that has application to the Colossian Christians as well as to us is this. You and I receive our identity from who Jesus is, if we are followers of Jesus. So any, in any way that Jesus Christ is not exalted or elevated or given his proper place, that also plays into how you and I approach the Christian life, how we view the Christian life, how we view our circumstances, what kind of mindset and outlook we have on life. All of it is tied in to our God and our view and opinion of God. And so Paul wants, in no uncertain terms, to make sure that we understand the wonder of God. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to study verses 15 through 20, which many have called the hymn of Jesus Christ. It may be one of the most, again, beautiful descriptions of Jesus found anywhere in the Word of God. But I want to direct your attention tonight to verse 18, where Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, that's you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, and we're going to certainly celebrate that this coming Sunday, as we do every Sunday, that Jesus Christ was the first to rise from the dead, never to die again, so that, and here's the purpose for all of this, so that he himself, Jesus, may continually become first in all things. Not some things, not most things. That Jesus Christ may be first, may have first place, may have precedence, may have preeminence, may be the priority, use whatever word you want, may be the very center of it all. But Paul is saying, because of who Jesus Christ is, in how he describes him, in verses 15 through 20, in verse 18 he says, Jesus deserves first place. Number one. And that we should always remind ourselves of the wonder of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now again, we're going to study more about the wonder of Jesus in the coming weeks, but for our sake of introduction, verse 18 is one of the key verses of the book, especially that last phrase, that he himself may become first in all things. Is Jesus Christ first in our life? Is he occupying first place? Is he having precedence? having preeminence? Is he the one that's before all things? Is, is he the first one we go to? Are we giving him our first fruits or the leftovers? Jesus Christ should become first. But then notice over in verse, or in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, these are two other key verses in the book. And if you take Chapter 1 and verse 18, along with chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, you really have what I consider to be the three key verses of this letter. Because then notice Paul says in chapter 2, verse 9, For in him, Jesus, 
All the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Again, Jesus Christ is as much God as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? But now here's how it has application to you and I and why the wonder of God directly influences and impacts our life and our identity in the way we see ourselves. Because then Paul goes on to say, and you, meaning every Christian, you have been filled in him. And the word filled means to full capacity. There's no room left. You see, our view of ourselves really is tied directly to our view of Jesus because we get our identity from him. And if the Bible tells us that he should be first place in all things because he's the greatest in the universe and that you and I as his followers are filled in him, that should make a practical difference in how we approach life and how we live life every day. Because what Paul is saying here to us as Christians is that means that in Jesus, and we're in Jesus if we're a Christian, that we have no deficiency, that we lack nothing to perform and do the will of God in our life, that in Jesus we have all we will ever need. You see, this really then comes down to the heart of, is Jesus Christ sufficient or not? All sufficient. And that's what was being attacked in Colossae. And that's one of the main reasons why Paul wrote this great letter from prison, was to remind the people of the greatness and the majesty and the sufficiency and the deity of Jesus Christ, but also to tie it back to the fact that if Jesus Christ is this great, if he is the first one in the universe above all others, and you and I as Christians now have been placed into him positionally, then we live our life every day not lacking anything that we really need, you see. So Paul starts out with the wonder of God here. But then I want us then to go back to chapter 1. And tonight, just look briefly at the first eight verses where we also see the workmanship of God who's wondrous and the work of God. You see, Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.10 that we, Christians, are his workmanship. And that many times this wondrous God who is first in all the universe, desires to do his work, wants to do his work, not that he has to do his work, in and through us, mere human beings. And we see down through these first eight verses exactly that. That God used, in verse 7, a man named Epaphras, to actually bring the gospel to Colossae and to these Christians in the first place. He says in verse 7 of chapter 1, you Colossian Christians, you learned the gospel from Epaphras. Epaphras was saved under Paul's ministry, discipled by Paul and others, then was sent to Colossae and was used by God as part of his workmanship 
to bring people into faith in Jesus Christ, and then he was discipling them as well. Now, strange thing here is that later on, Epaphras was then finding himself in Rome, where he was also then a fellow prisoner of Paul when he wrote this letter. In fact, later on in chapter 4, Paul says, basically, Epaphras is sending his greetings to you too from Rome with me. He's my fellow prisoner here. But God used Epaphras, and Paul even describes him as a dear fellow slave, a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. God wants to use you and I, just as he used Epaphras to take his gospel to the world to be a faithful servant of his, stepping up even, stepping forward. That, that's what it means when it says he's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. At the time, Epaphras wasn't in prison with Paul. Epaphras was free in Colossae, but Paul was either supposed to be there or wanted to be there. So when Paul uses the phrase on our behalf, it simply meant that Epaphras stepped up in our absence. We couldn't be there, but he filled the gap. Then up in the first two verses of chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, a, an amazing man. If you just read Paul's pedigree, this man spoke multiple languages, was educated to the highest degree in his society. I mean, he knew so much about so many different things. But Paul didn't start out any of his letters by reminding people of, how many degrees he had and how many languages he knew and could speak fluently and all these other things. No, Paul's honor, notice, was that he was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Timothy was also right there along with him, our brother. And so not only was God using Epaphras, God was using Paul and Timothy as well you see, in the lives of these Colossian Christians. All of these men were God's workmanship. God was working in them, the wondrous God, so that he could work through them and touch other people's lives, just as God wants to do today. But I want to go back to this whole concept of Jesus Christ at the end of verse 18, chapter 1, becoming first in all things. Because again, I want you to see how this colors really everything that Paul did in his life and wrote about even in the early verses of this letter to the Colossians. Why do I say that? Well, first of all, notice again that Paul says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm a representative of Christ Jesus sent by him on a mission from him. You see, for Paul, if Jesus Christ is first in the universe and occupies first place, then the greatest honor, the greatest dignity, the greatest privilege that Paul could ever have wasn't all these other things. It was being a servant of Jesus Christ, being one who was sent out by him. And then being an apostle wasn't Paul's idea. It was the will of God this was God's purpose for Paul's life. And again, why does that tie back into Christ being first? Because if Christ truly is first, then his will comes first, not ours, not somebody else's, 
not what other people think I should be doing, not what even I think I should be doing. If Jesus Christ is first, that means what he wants me to do is the most important thing and the best thing that I could ever do. You see, that's how, it, that's how the wonder of God, that's how putting Jesus where he belongs in our hearts and minds really does influence, penetrate, everything in our lives and even how we look at our life. And again, also remembering that if Jesus Christ, that if in him is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and I'm in him, then Paul had no hesitation in even accepting being an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he knew that Jesus Christ was enough that Jesus Christ would provide everything that Paul needed in order to accomplish whatever mission God sent him on. You see, having Timothy as his partner, well, that's God's way, because God always taught us two by two, or at least don't try to do it alone. And if God is first, then his way is always best, Right? So all these things that you see that Paul is fleshing out, that Timothy is fleshing out, that Epaphras is fleshing out, all goes back to Christ having first place. Notice in verse 2, now we go from the author of the letter to the recipients of the letter. They are described as saints. That means distinct, having a special purpose and faithful brothers and sisters. If Jesus Christ is first, if he's become first, that means you and I have a purpose for living our life every day. Because every day we're in Christ. And every day we are his workmanship. And therefore he's working in us every day and he's working through us every day. And there's a always a purpose for living, even in weird times like this, where sometimes we might think we're just getting up and we're just maybe doing the same thing over again and, and we can't really go anywhere and, and live our normal life. If we're in Jesus, there are no wasted days, no wasted weeks, wasted months, wasted years. Remember, Paul was in prison. He couldn't go anywhere either. He was locked down. And yet, he didn't allow being limited into where he could go to determine what God could do with his life. God's a very creative God. And God took the heart of Paul and the mind of Paul and influenced it through the Holy Spirit and had him pen this book that you and I are studying tonight, reminding people that if Jesus Christ is first, there's always a purpose. And that... How can you and I be faithful, reliable, dependable like the Colossians? Because Jesus Christ is enough. Not because we're enough, but because we've been filled in Him. All of these things and how we look at ourselves and how we look at, at how we approach our calling and, and what God's asking us to do all goes back to what we think of Jesus and what is our identity in Jesus. That's why it was so important for Paul to write this letter because any, in any way that Jesus Christ was diminished or brought lower than he really is 
was going to impact the Colossian Christians as well. If he wasn't enough, then obviously they aren't enough in him. But if he is who the Bible teaches us he is, and we believe that he is, and the Bible then tells us that we're in him, and we've been filled in him, we are complete in him, then we lack no good thing to do his will. We are not deficient. We may think, well, I got nothing, but we've got something. And even if we feel like we're empty-handed, as we sang about tonight, his grace will fill those empty hands and give us what we need. And then he says, grace and peace, verse 2, to you from God our Father. Again, reminding them that if Jesus Christ is first in the universe, his provision will continually flow down to us from heaven and through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And his grace and peace will constantly be flowing into our life so that again, we can be the people of God that he's asking us to be and desiring us to be. And he can we can be his workmanship. And then speaking of workmanship, let's not forget what Paul said to the Philippians. He who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day you and I meet Jesus Christ. God never stops working in us so that he can work through us. And so as we begin the study of this letter, we are just touching tonight. We'll get to more of it. The wonder of God, the workmanship of God. But then I want us to see for just a few moments tonight the work of God that God had begun to do in the Colossians who had embraced the gospel. The Colossians who had allowed people like Paul and Timothy and Epaphras to impact their life. And I want you to see three primary things. Begin with me at verse 3. We always give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We could do a whole message on that verse. Paul basically is saying, I'm always praying for you, which is a challenge to us. Be praying for Christians. And by the way, let me say this too. Many times we're praying for Christians who are physically or emotionally or spiritually struggling. You know what's interesting about the prayer of Paul here? And the prayers of Paul that's recorded in other places of Scripture, he's actually praying for Christians that are doing well and are growing, not for those that are struggling. Because Paul understands something. Our spiritual enemy isn't threatened by those that are struggling. Our spiritual enemy is threatened by those that are growing and doing well spiritually and are spiritually healthy and making progress. And therefore, the spiritual enemy is going to attack the growing Christian not the struggling Christian, you see. So that's why Paul prays so hard for these Colossian Christians who have got it and who are growing, but who are going to face even more opposition. But then he says, verse 4, since we heard about, first of all, your faith in Christ Jesus. What is the work that God is doing in the life of the Colossians and wants to do in our life? He wants to do a work of faith. Faith is our positive response to whatever God is doing, to however He's speaking to us, however He's moving in our life, however He's revealing Himself, whatever promptings. It is the positive response 
that you and I give to the Lord. That's why worship is so important. Because worship is a positive response to God. It's something that you and I can positively do to respond to all that God is and all that He's done for us each and every day. That's faith. And I love this in verse 4. Paul says, we heard about your faith. And I thought to myself, is our faith audible to those around us? Our, our, is our trust of the Lord and our positive response to the Lord something that other people hear about because it's so distinctive and so different from maybe the way other Christians are responding to God? Paul's saying, I heard about your faith. Your faith stood out. Your trust, your belief, your confidence in your God, it stood out. I heard about it. We should be striving to live a life of faith so strong that other Christians and other people hear about our faith in the Lord Jesus. You see, faith is dynamic. It is not static. It is alive. Faith will not only affect our life, it will affect all of those around us, which is exactly what it was doing. You see, in a sense, you see this progression. The faith that was birthed in Paul or should we say Saul that day he was on the road to Damascus, then was transferred to Timothy, and then was transferred to Epaphras, and then was transferred to the Colossian Christians, and now the Colossian Christians are, are growing, and God is doing a work of faith in their life so that God can use them then to affect other people's lives with their faith. You and I are living in a time right now, folks, where our faith in God will stand out. And I believe that our faith can be audible, that it can be so distinct and so strong and so different from the way that many others are choosing to live by not fully resting and trusting in God that we can really make an impact right now. Because again, our faith isn't based on our circumstances. And even the Colossians, they had their own issues that they were dealing with in Colossae that we'll talk about as we move through the letter. So the first work of God that we see here is faith. The second is love. Love. Paul says, not only did we hear about your faith, we heard about your love that you have for all the saints. Now let's not forget this word in the original is the word agape. That is a supernatural love which is produced in the heart of a yielded believer by the Holy Spirit. This is not a love that you and I can somehow come up with on our own. The only way we can love selflessly, sacrificially, unconditionally, the only way we can choose to love everyone around us who maybe doesn't deserve it and have never earned our love is by yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit and loving that way because that's the way God loves us. We, we don't deserve God's love, but He loves us. He chooses to love us. It is His nature, you see. And Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you love one another. And by this kind of love, the love that I have for you, all men will then know that you're my disciples. That's the mark, love, love for all the saints. Even before we start loving the world and those that don't know God, God says, let's start with our own household. Do we really love our brothers and sisters in Christ? This is a work that God wants to do. He not only wants to come in to us as believers 
corporately and individually and do a work of faith. He wants to do a work of love. But again, you and I cannot love this way apart from yielding ourselves every day to the control and influence of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Romans 5.5, God has poured out His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that was given to us. Poured it out. Filled it up. And what does Galatians 5.22 say? But the fruit of the Spirit is, very first one, love. You see, over and over again, the Bible says it's got to be through the Spirit. It's got to be under His control because we could never love to this extent. We could never love as far as we need to love to be stretched out to choose to do it apart from the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Love. In fact, in verse 8, notice Epaphras was so struck by the love that these Colossian Christians had for one another that he said he told Paul about their love, but then notice these last three words, in the Spirit. It was only in the Spirit that they could love the way they were loving one another. That's a work God wants to do. And I'll just say this, as the pastor of this great church, the Oasis, that's one of the reasons why I think all of our hearts ache at this time where we can't be together. Because there is a love here. I love you. I know you love me, and we love each other, and we're a family, and it's hard when family can't get together. But I'm still praying and hoping that real soon our family can get back together and we can love on each other once again. There's ways we can love on each other now, and we might have to be creative about it, and we need to always keep loving one another and seeking ways to do it, but it's always good to be able to get back together face-to-face as well. One other work that the wondrous God wanted to do in the Colossians and wants to do in our lives too is hope. Notice what Paul says in verse 5. Your faith and love have arisen from the hope. Let me stop there. Very important. Did you see what Paul said? Hope is the soil from which faith and love grow out of. As important as faith and love are, the foundation of faith and hope, the soil that they grow out of, is hope. That's the foundation. Our hope is the confident expectation that God will do what He said He would do. That's what our hope is, you see. And the results of our living in hope actually await us in heaven. All the the results and all the rewards of being a, a, a person who lives in God's hope is actually laid up, Paul says, in heaven. Because God doesn't want to pour out His greatest blessings and rewards for our life of hope down here where we have limited time to be able to enjoy and experience them. He is saving those for us to be able to enjoy and experience for all of eternity. But I want to mention this as well. Hope is also connected to one's desire. That's why many times, without hope, we're discouraged or we live in despair. Because 
If hope is connected to one's desire, and we have a desire, and that desire is not met, then we become discouraged. We become very dismayed. In the Bible, God is to be our ultimate desire. Now think about that. What are the ramifications of that? If God is the ultimate desire of my life, if He, more than anything else, is what I'm pursuing, what I'm going after every day, then I'll never be discouraged or disappointed or dismayed because I always have Him. And He always makes Himself available and accessible to me to know more of Him. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. There's never a moment where our desire... (laughs) would be disappointed if our desire is God. The reason we live in disappointment and discouragement is because we allow other things to become our greatest desires other than God. The Bible teaches Christ is our hope. And if God is our desire, then we can live in hope, we can rest in hope, we can even die in hope because God's our hope. He's all we ever want. And did not Paul sort of say that same thing to the Philippians when he said, when it comes right down to it, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'd much rather go and be with Jesus. That's when we know that our desire is the Lord. That's when we know our hope could never be disappointed. Because the more we want of God, the more God will give us of Himself. And this is the work that God wants to do in each of our hearts. And the more we desire the Lord, and the more we live in that confident expectation that we know God is true and trustworthy and reliable and dependable, and He will do the things He has promised to do, then faith and love even start to blossom and bloom even more out of our life. And Paul says, because of the work that you've allowed God to do, through His workmanship, people, just like you and I, Epaphras, Paul, Timothy, he says then, verse 6, just as the entire world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, so it has also been bearing fruit and growing among you. From the first day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. What a tremendous letter. And tonight we've just begun. I hope you'll come back each Wednesday night and join us as we continue through our study of the book of Colossians. But before we end tonight, let me remind you of this. Because it has such great practical application for us right here and now in the season in which we are living. The most beautiful, maybe greatest description of Jesus Christ that was ever penned was penned by the Apostle Paul from a dark, damp, dirty prison cell. God brought something wondrous out of something that wasn't very good. What we're going through right now is not very good. But we have the hope 
of Romans 8.28. That our God is so great and so amazing that he can bring good things out of not so good things. And I want you and I to embrace that tonight and trust him. That even in the season that we are going through, God hasn't stopped working. God hasn't stopped working in his workmanship. God hasn't stopped working in us and through us. God's work is not done until you and I go to be with Jesus. So let's press into Him and let's trust that even in this season of life, God can write something beautiful and bring something beautiful out of something not so beautiful. I also want to remind you tonight to come back and join us 10 o'clock Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, this Sunday, for our service. Nicole's going to be bringing us some great worship, and we're going to be in the Word again, looking in the book of Isaiah. Also encourage you to go out there and read the blog every day that, that it, the Lord has laid on my heart, and hopefully that will be an encouragement to you as well. Keep praying for one another. Keep loving on one another. Keep seeking ways to not only be encouraged yourself, through worship in the Word, but seek out ways and ask the Lord to give you creative ways to be an encouragement to your brothers and sisters in Christ and to anyone that you have opportunity to. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless.